because your work involves so much decision making there's only a limit to how much decision making your mind can do so you start experiencing decision fatigue you know what is known as decision fatigue it's just like you're tired of just taking decisions right right and i think that's one of the biggest challenges as as an recreational athlete is especially if you're a triathlete because now you have to take decisions for three different sports you know always keep working on your skills no matter how good an athlete you are how competent how experienced you are there is always scope for improvement in skills so it's not like you only do something in the beginning it is all the more important in the beginning but its importance sort of stays through your entire uh, journey as an athlete honesty conviction persistence and progression these are the words that come to my mind when i think of this person i am proud to call him a friend although he is much younger and wiser than me i am delighted to see his progression and growth over the years he is one of those annoying friends who turn out to be extremely good at whatever they do he started out as a cyclist picked up running then he participated in triathlons he is extremely good at all of these but at least for now it is in his uh, running that he seemed to have found a footing and grown from strength through strength as an athlete and as a coach he quit his well paying it consultancy job and started an organization that aligned with his passion for multiple sports and called it athlof multisport a coaching firm providing coaching services in running cycling and triathlon his name is Anubhav Karmakar welcome to the working athlete podcast anubhav it's a pleasure having you here on the show thanks for that introduction venki that's uh, that's the finest introduction i've received so far <laughs> and it's absolutely my privilege to be on this you've always been an inspiration and uh, it's great to see you doing this and it's totally my privilege thank you so do you want to uh, share what Athloft stands for, and uh, what is its philosophy? Yeah, Athloft. Uh, it started off uh, with the idea in mind is to create an ecosystem uh, for recreational athletes in India. And you know, I was uh, involved in multiple endurance sports, uh, triathlon, cycling, running. And uh, since I saw that there is a need for guidance for recreational athletes, uh, since they are so. uh they are juggling so many different uh responsibilities right so they need that uh guidance which allows them to enjoy the sport uh, but at the same time progress in it be happy in the sport so my idea was to create an ecosystem which will support those goals right it could be performance goals not just performance goals performance along with being maintaining a healthy relationship with the sport itself right which is what i felt was sometimes goes out of balance so that's the objective of uh, athlof so whether it be cyclists runners or triathletes or any other endurance sports that we might find interest in the idea is to sort of uh, understand the sport understand you know uh, the principles of the sport try and you know shaft out uh, all the gimmicks which are there and things which are myths which are there right and uh, gives them the guidance which which is uh, which helps them navigate through uh, you know a rather challenging 
uh, sport like running and cycling that's uh, that kind of the you know aligns very much with the goal of this podcast itself uh, you know kind of yeah. demystifying the uh, sport for working athletes and uh, yes. you that's why i think uh, you know it's great to have you as a guest on the show yeah and that's why i am excited because this is precisely uh, you know aligning with the objective that i uh, or rather the path that i had you know set myself on so all you working athletes listening uh, and watching this uh, if uh, you know you need guidance on any of these please uh, feel free to reach out to him at athlof.com a t h l o f t dot com that's correct right that's right awesome awesome so of all the multiple sports it is with cycling right that you started how uh, yeah. what made you uh, pick up a bike i think if i i was not very sure but i think it was i think adventure the initial idea was you know adventure you know i uh i was uh, i mean at certain point i was obese i was unfit right and i found uh, that uh by keeping myself fit i'm able to function better right both mentally and physically and i was initially i think i gained fitness through you know uh, going to the gym right but slowly i started the feel started feeling the need to do something different you know i just i was sensing that it is a little unsustainable to keep going to the gym all by yourself and you know repeat the same activity over and over again and i guess uh, i mean cycling is something that we've all done as kids most of us have done as kids so you do have some sense of you know what sort of happiness it gives you so i think it was through that you know that i was inclined in you know to get myself a bicycle and i think somewhere i must have seen uh, my surfing through the internet uh i saw something about uh, mountain biking in himalayas right and i think that sort of triggered the thought that i saw the bikes there and, and you know they were pretty fancy looking bikes you know and uh, uh you know and uh, the fact that you can go over rugged terrain on the bikes not just the looks but that allows you to go through the rugged terrain and then i started inquiring about those bikes found out they're pretty expensive what i thought was really expensive back then but uh, you know so it's skeptical but then i started doing the research being the uh, geek that i've always been about these kind of things and then i quickly realized that you know uh, world over people are using these kind of uh, bikes it's not just you know a fancy looking bike it it has its functionality it lends itself to certain things which a, a normal bike or a commuter bike uh, will not allow you to do and it just looked like a whole lot of fun and i saw people from different parts of the world coming up uh, for this event so yeah i was just naturally inclined towards it and i think that's how it started i i bought the mountain bike but for the longest time i was just riding on roads i bought a mountain bike but i was riding on city roads i started joining the weekend rides which used to happen in hyderabad i was lucky enough to find uh, you know cycling mates whom, with whom i would go on these weekend rides out into the outskirts into the farmlands and uh, you know uh, first few experiences of having punctures and fixing them and i think yeah and that that relationship you know that joyful relationship with cycling started off nice so you mentioned uh, that you were obese you know looking at you now it is hard to imagine that so how what was your highest weight 
I think I was 78 uh, back. Yeah. Okay. I think at my highest, I must have been 78. What is I'm it not now? sure if it was the highest. It was at the point at which I thought I must reduce weight that I really measured it. I was not measuring until then. So yeah, and uh, that's that's what is it the now? last measured high weight. I think now it. I mean, I probably hang around 53, 54. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a good 25 kilos off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. Uh, you picked up the bike, mountain bike, and started riding in Hyderabad. And uh, this e- this event, MTB Himalaya, was your uh, inspiration. And uh, after right. yeah, after riding, uh, did you manage to participate in that? Yeah. So obviously, I had made up my mind that I would I wanted to do it. It was the reason why I bought the bike, right? And uh, I did sign up and end up landing up uh, there at the Himalayas. Uh, had something else in mind, and of course, it turned out to be uh, you know a completely different story. You know. Okay. When was this? This was 2013. I think end of 2013. Okay. You uh, you did that um, uh, MTB Himalaya in the end of t- 2013. But when did you pick up the bike? Right. I must have picked it up. Uh, I think early March, uh, March 2013, okay. March of April. Yeah, you could say just about like mid-year, I guess. Okay. Yeah, somewhere. I don't remember specifically, but somewhere around March and June, mm. one of those months. Mm. So yeah, but I didn't uh, specifically train for it because I by, by back then I didn't know anything about training really. Yeah. Was just riding on weekends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you said um, you thought uh, that the event would be something, but it turned out to be something else. What was it? How was the experience? Yeah, I mean, that's how I realized that oh, when you do something like this, you need to train for it. You just can't show up, right? So obviously, uh, of, of course, I had fitness, right? But uh, I realized I lacking skills, right? Uh, you know, especially when you're going downhill, right? Yeah. Uh, completely lacking in confidence and things like that. And I mean, it's not like you can't, finish the event but it's just like you know others are moving much faster and you know, i've always been a little uh, performance oriented and things like that and and then i'm like i was going really fast up the hills and then i was losing position as i went down the hill right and other thing is i didn't know how to even handle the bike downhill so my hands my palms were paining a lot because i probably was holding them too tight uh, also probably you know uh, i had not taken care of the bike you know the shock absorbers gave up middle of the tour so obviously i had not you know gone to a bike shop and you know got it serviced and i still had not developed uh you know uh that sort of uh, knowledge base in terms of you know what is the level of preparedness you need as a athlete as, and as also your machine right so a lot of that learning and also like i had a couple of really bad falls and i almost fell off the hill once <laughs> so I mean, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, uh, I was, I, the learning experience is that you, you need to train for uh, something which even though it looks adventurous and it looks simple, but you need to find out more about it and then figure whether, yeah, whether it's something that you can just show up for or not. And so the, what I figured is that since I live on a flat land, like I was living in Hyderabad back then, and there was very little scope for training for, you know, mountain bike events. I think that time I took a decision that, you know, uh, I'm going to stick to what I can train for. 
right okay. and uh, and and i still commit to that so i still feel very very tempted to do a lot of different things right i mean that's how my journey started and of course that nature is still there with me like i want to explore more try out different type of sports but at this point of time i have sort of understood that you know what uh, i'm enjoying what i'm doing and it I, there's a scope to sort of do something consistently right yeah. without too much of uh, you know uh, discrepancy and not, you know too much of vagaries of you know whether you know whether this facility will be available or not or whether i'll be able to train for something in within this phase or not so uh, that's i think that mindset started coming in wherein you know you need to sort of sometimes focus but having said that i think 2014 i was still not as focused as i am today because i was still trying out different yeah. things yeah. i was still i had still not ventured into a lot of sports which i ended up after 2014 yeah so in 2014 i think the first time i saw you was uh, at the start of tfn 2014 um i saw this uh, dude right. i saw this dude who uh, uh landed up in bangalore airport and i think uh, landed up at the start but uh, something was missing uh i think you, <laughs> <laughs> i think your bike did not arrive right yeah yeah so that's a yeah that's a completely uh, yeah bizarre story so thing is i as i said right 2013 end i decided okay i'm going to go with road bike and i bought a second hand road bike that road bike was not my size so again lack of knowledge right lack of guidance right i bought ended up buying a bicycle which was which was a good steel you know because i bought a second hand bike it was a good price bike so i immediately went for it i didn't know anything about components and stuff like that and so i i rode a bike which was not suited for me for a significant amount of time but just before tfn i happened to go to uh, switzerland for work right. right and there by this by this time i already you know have enough knowledge it says that i am not i was not buying a bike i think probably because you know uh, of the expense that i had just made on this other bike that's also another lessons that if you have made a mistake you need to rectify it because you know uh, your physical well being and your enjoyment of the sport is more important right yeah. so but anyways that opportunity was there i think uh, to buy a bike which i absolutely loved uh, you know uh, it was a custom made bike uh, from switzerland uh, and uh, and it was i it was very difficult to lay, lay my hands on it actually it was quite a bit of a challenge so finally things worked out and i was able to lay my hands on it and then on the way back to india the bike got lost right, right. and i was and the thing is i was supposed to arrive a few days before but then something happened at work and i had to extend my uh, stay there by a couple of days which meant that i landed in hyderabad and almost immediately took another flight you know within a day to bangalore mm-hmm. Yeah. but i thought you know that's fine you know i i was still fairly young and energetic and you know willing to handle these kind of things but the problem is like once i landed at the hyderabad airport there was no bike right <laughs> and it, i was shocked that such thing something as large as a bike can go missing <laughs> <laughs> right so i had no choice but to pick up the old bike so i was like you know i was so excited about riding the new bike because it felt so much smoother it was just the right size and to know that oh i have to ride such a challenging tour on you know something which doesn't fit me well was a bummer and then what happened is of course i thought okay you know something is better than nothing but i realized that you know i was using a different set of cleats uh in switzerland right but it didn't strike me you know in the whole mix up that i was having another set of pedals a different system of pedals on the other bike 
So right at the start line, I just tried to clip in. I realized, oh, <laughs> now right. my it was just like the worst day of my life that I was having, you know, at the start line. So I rode from Bangalore to Mysore, you know, on a pedal which was my leg kept slipping. So it was a horrible day. And since it was just the first day, and we still had a long, uh, you know, tour ahead. Not a great way to start because you're overly more taxed, right? But thankfully, thanks to thanks to Crankmaster, uh, you know, they were able to sort of arrange for uh, you know the right uh, pedals. Pedals. And, you yeah. know, the rest of the tour was went fairly better. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a perfect tour, uh, <laughs> but yeah, fairly better. Yeah. So the, I mean that was uh, the first time I saw you, I think. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, I, he's this uh, tiny uh, looking uh, energetic young man <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know flying up the climbs and it was uh, it was very uh, good to see i think uh, we ended up riding together on the way to munnar or something i uh, i might Hi. be having the pick of us all, all together and it, 2014 was one of the toughest tours, uh, of, you know, there were. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it yeah. was, in my books, it, it is the toughest uh, I have done. I have done uh, what? Well, nine. I got the, yeah. I probably got a bang for my buck then. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Remember. But, you know, I remember because going up Kalhati, I had a bad experience. Like I cramped and I fell. Mm. And I swore that day that I'm going to come back here. And that's another story because I think the next time I went to Kalahati after that time, again, I was with uh, the Spectrum Racing team, right? And uh, you were also there and I managed to get the QOM. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like sweet revenge for me. But I still remember vividly that, you know, how I think it's partly due to the bike, right? I mean, I think I should have been able to complete the climb at least. Is fairly enough fit, uh, good fitness, but I think the bike not being in shape, uh, not being the right size, I had a horrible experience uh, of Kalati. But uh, overall, I just enjoyed the tour. You know, I remember, I still remember all the scenic routes. It was great yeah. fun. Yeah. Especially, you know, being with a good bunch of uh, cyclists. Uh, I think that sort of, inc- I think the reason why I signed up was, of course, to have an adventure, but I, I think I fell, I learned a lot from the tour. I I also fell in love with cycling a little more. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, you you mentioned. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's very hard uh, to not fall in love with uh, cycling uh, when you are riding in such a uh, such a setting, right? And also when you are taken yeah. care of, every need of you is taken care of, and you have just have to focus on riding. But right. you but you mentioned that uh, you fell on Kalahati. What was that about? What happened there? I mean, of course, I think it's a mix of inexperience. Uh, Could be a little bit of over-enthusiasm or, and I also think not having the right bike, you know, Uh, a bike which is a little bigger than your size. Going up the hardest climb in India, arguably the hardest climb in India is not trying is can be a you know recipe for disaster yeah it is so i think yeah that's what i mean i think uh, you know muscles cramp for multiple reasons and one of the reasons is when you push it too hard you know it's not capable of handling that intensity so i was going fairly hard because i i was i loved climbing and i wanted to do well on kalati so mm. i wasn't taking it easy really mm. so uh, 
but I guess uh, somewhere after, I think it had happened on the Hail Hitler section, which is right. a rather challenging section. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I rode till I could stay on the bike. I mean, eventually I cramped and to the point where I couldn't go any further. Yeah, I don't think so. I've had that sort of an experience uh, <laughs> yeah, that day. Yeah. 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 That, that section you're talking about is uh, just 300 meters of 15% or so. It feels like three kilometers. Just making it up there <laughs> yeah. is horrible. And uh, yeah, I think when it is, when it is so steep, it is even difficult to keep the bike down the front wheel down uh, and right. so if you are struggling and cramping it is very easy to you know just fall off but um, yeah 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 you managed to go uh, later and uh, uh, you know take the KOM when was this the, I think this is just probably within a year I think right 2015 I think, I think. yeah yeah 2015 somewhere I don't remember the month if you mm-hmm. can recall which when we when did we make the trip yeah but i mean i just wanted to do well i mean better than you know i just wanted to finish well but i was just surprised that you know it was the fastest time back then today is a different story altogether <laughs> yeah yeah what do you remember what was the time at the time yours no it was definitely over an hour yeah. i don't remember exactly now it is now just under an hour. hour yeah 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 but i think fairly more than one hour yeah but that was like yeah that's really long back like five years back yeah yeah so i a <laughs> L- lot of lot of strong guys uh went up that hill. yeah, yeah. Uh, kkr navin john i think K- yeah. kkr still uh kiran kumar raju still uh, holds the k1 on that i think yeah i'm pretty sure yeah it must be him. yeah awesome awesome so need to go back there yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the uh, I, another uh, incident, another uh, time I remember uh, 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 meeting you and racing with you was in Hyderabad. Uh, wh- was it 2014 uh, uh, race or 15 uh, HPC race? So you yeah, were I there. Recall, uh, yeah, you were there. Uh, Gaurav Duggal was there, GD. Uh, then uh, Aman was there, Aman Punjani, and four of us were in right. a breakaway. And uh, right. four of us uh, were in a breakaway, and uh, you guys uh, obviously three of you were training together and from uh, you know uh, riding together in Hyderabad. And I came uh, there from Bangalore, uh, just yeah. you know on a family trip and borrowed a bike from a friend uh, i think richard and uh, uh, was racing there and uh, you guys tried really hard to drop me i rem- uh, that's why i still remember <laughs> that <laughs> i'm and, not sure if you're ahead of us we would have yeah definitely tried <laughs> so we were working together and what struck me was that the way you uh, as we came closer to the finish line you gassed it, boom, and you were flying uh, 50 kmph, boom, 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 boom. And uh, obviously, uh, the sprinter in the <laughs> group 
<laughs> Duggal took the win, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think okay. I came second, and Aman finished third, and you were like, uh, uh, you know, yeah. in the four guys <laughs> because you went to. I, I think, yeah, I think I, if I can recall, it was still my old bike. So if it was my first bike, first road bike, then it's certainly 2014, I would say. Okay. Because I think my end of 2014 is when I had the much improved uh, right fit bike. So right. I'm guessing this is 2014. So uh, that's cycling. You uh, had a great time cycling and doing all these events. When did you start running though? No, I started running, I think, again, mid of uh, 2013. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think when I started riding weekend rides, I, I think somewhere while riding, I met people who were also running hmm. and then I asked, okay, so how do you run and things like that? Like, do you have a similar sort of a setting like you have in cycling where, you know, you groups go for weekend rides and they, that's when they mentioned Hyderabad runners. So I looked them up on the website and I saw that, yeah, there is a run which is happening on one of those Sundays really, really early. And yeah, I had a pair of shoes laced up and landed up there and, uh, I still remember, uh, I think Richard was there and uh, Romil was there and Shankar. Uh, and these were, back then I was not aware of who they are, but they were the front of the pack runners of uh, Hyderabad runners. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea what I was getting into that day. <laughs> but as it turned out, because I was inexperienced, right? I mean, that that's what I was doing back then, you know, hitting it out and trying out different things. And... I was going faster than them and then I was returning back to, you know, sort of stay with them. And at some point, one of the runners was like, are you sure you're going to be able to hold this up for like 20 plus kilometers? And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling great. But that's, 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 that's as much as I knew about endurance. Right? Yeah. Didn't end well. I didn't finish that run. Uh, but thankfully, there was support, uh, you know, uh, from other runners, there was a support car. So that's how I went back to the start line. <laughs> but yeah. You know, uh, you can call it my good luck or bad luck. I ended up uh, meeting uh, runners of pretty high caliber. I think all of them, uh, Boston, uh, uh, you know, so Richard today is a two, two hours, I think, uh, 26 minute-ish runner, right? Yeah, so yeah. really high caliber runners. Romil finished, uh, you know, had qualified for Boston. But back then I had no idea. I had no idea that you can run 42 kilometers. So it was all like completely like you know i had no knowledge or any sort of uh, i would say inkling about what it you know for me it was like 42 kilometers or if i can run five kilometers i might as well just extend the time and keep running until 42 kilometers right that's uh i think that's probably what my mindset was like right but and also the fact that you know i would see people who are much older than me running 42 that surprised me though that surprised me because uh, you know i was i was 26 uh, at that part of time but to see people who are in their 40s you know who are in their late 30s for me for me them running 42 kilometers was a bit of a shocker and i think my mentality does that if they can run so can i but uh, i did not probably grasp the fact that they are training and that training has an effect that it's not just physical ability yeah. that physical ability develops over time and that endurance sports lends itself to you know like keep improving with age because you're of the mindset like as you get older your physical ability is reduced and you can't get better you right. can probably just manage to get through but 
that's that's my level of experience and knowledge back there yeah so that's just how, how my first experience running was so was it on the shankarpalli road uh, they they used no this have... was kbr kbr okay yeah it started kbr through chubli hills so these uh, the hyderabad uh, hyderabad bicycling club um, back then and uh, uh, hyderabad runners had uh, quite a bit of overlap uh, in terms of people uh, uh, that were part of both yeah. of them so it, yes it, yeah that that i was uh, i was looking to start running at, at that time as well but never happened <laughs> but uh, how was your first uh, marathon experience when was your first marathon to begin with i think that was uh, uh, august of 2013 and it was pretty much in the similar lines as all the other events that i mentioned <laughs> yeah. so i think uh, uh, i was ambitious and i i although there was some level of guidance but i i don't think so i i probably did not trust any of that guidance or probably didn't take it too seriously because you know it was not coming from any sort of an authority or a coach or something like that it was just general internet thing and i sort of felt like trusting my own instincts is better than trusting that anyways i think i just uh, cooked myself up in the first marathon and i finished in like 5 hours 20 minutes right excruciating few last kilometers probably because i was telling i was trained for the distance but i i had not paced it well okay so yeah i've all my initial lessons were learned the hard way yeah where was this your first marathon it was hyderabad so it was also a challenging course you know, over yeah. the flyovers it's one of the most challenging marathons in uh, india yeah they they call it the flyover marathon or something they have a nickname yeah, for it yeah. i think yeah right definitely a yeah. lot of elevation gain yeah awesome awesome the, the first that was your first marathon 5 over 20 minutes now uh, imagine <laughs> you doing uh, something like that for 5 hours 20 minutes you might end up doing 100 kilometers or something <laughs> but no uh, i don't think so i can i can keep running for 5 hours 20 minutes <laughs> i don't think so i have that patience anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what was your first triathlon event first triathlon i think was uh, hyderabad triathlon Yeah, okay. lucky to have had like a city triathlon, but it was a pool swim though. Hmm. And I think I did the Olympic distance, which is, uh, I mean, if uh, the audience uh, doesn't know, Olympic distance is uh, 10 kilometers of swim. Uh, sorry, uh, it's a 10 kilometer run in the end. Uh, it's a, uh, I think, uh, a 1.5 kilometer swim, uh, 40 kilometer bike ride, and a 10 kilometer run. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, in that order. Yeah. Okay, so that was um, w- which year was this? This was, I think, uh, around two thousand fourteen or so that uh, the Hyderabad yeah, runners have started this. I think, right? Yeah. No, I think they might have started earlier, but I think I did it in two thousand fourteen. Okay, uh, if I remember correctly, yeah. The swim uh, is in the Gachibowli Stadium pool, and. Uh, Yeah so actually they have two different locations for mm. swim but i think olympic uh, that year it happened in gachibowli but you know they split the participants to gachibowli okay. and i think uh, one of the colleges there uh, in uh, ibs uh, hyderabad so mm-hmm. some ca- because there are multiple distances uh, formats right there are olympic there's half iron there's full iron man also they are able to sort of split the participants across uh, the pools 
okay okay so you uh, you love cycling and you uh, fell in love with running as well and uh, the natural progression you saw as uh, something is happening in triathlon let me try it uh, might have been right. your uh, uh, mindset going by the trend of you know i want to try you know whatever is there yes so, yes yes yeah so now uh, you you took it up to like um, iron man 70.3 as well right right when was right. this how was the experience for training and racing there so i think uh, the same event hyderabad triathlon the very next year i attempted the half iron man okay right because by then i was uh, fairly good in yeah i think 2015 i was fairly well developed cyclist as well as a runner Mm. right and but i was very occasional swimmer i didn't i never spent too much volume in swimming because i mean that's primarily because i i just didn't want to take time off cycling and running you know yeah. i enjoyed these two so much i mean that i just didn't feel like dedicating too much time for swimming but anyways uh, again the 2015 i think was the first uh, half iron triathlon and i think i did multiple half triathlons uh, that certain that year i probably did thonnur which is close by right now from bangalore mm-hmm. and uh, thonnur triathlon and i think i did has about triathlon couple of years 2015 2016 okay so i was about to ask if you have done anything um, outside the country yeah so that's life. when uh, you know uh, because uh the experience in india as of now as it stands is still not uh, like a completely uh you know i would say fulfilling experience because of the limitations that we have from an infrastructure point of view so hyderabad triathlon is a pool right whereas you know traditionally you know the half ironman or the full ironman happens with an open water swim Correct. and thonur gave me the first experience of uh, open water swim i had never been in an open water before that Mm-hmm. uh but it was still you know loops in a lake right mm-hmm. uh but i think the idea of uh, doing the official half ironman ironman 70.3 event uh something which excited me and also the fact that the open water swims are generally in the ocean or in the sea right so mm-hmm. i think that's also a big kick so at the same time you know uh i saw it as an opportunity to visit new places right and i think i the first international triathlon i signed up was uh, vietnam i'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was 2016 or 17 mm-hmm. i think it was 2016 uh that was uh, what i signed up for because it was fairly close by uh, okay. to home right yeah. and uh, right but it was a challenging one considering it's still a humid place mm-hmm. but uh, i think i enjoyed uh you know the experience of uh, swimming i think that was what was uh, my highlight there is to because i had never been ever before uh, in a ocean or a sea without you know uh, chest level any water above chest level and mm-hmm. i never ventured beyond that yeah so for me yeah i mean i, I remember like it was never i was never so competitive about the swim part of it for me the race began after i left came out of the ocean right that's when i you know started clocking my time because i was strong on the bike and that's how i always like i was i was fairly weak in the swim and then i was always making up for it on the bike and then on the run yeah. so i did vietnam and then the uh, i think the year after that i did turkey 
Okay. And Turkey was an excellent experience because mm-hmm. uh, I came close to sort of doing back then. I mean, finishing close to five hours or just under five hours was something which excited me. So because uh, my swim had still not progressed because I was not doing volume or not focused towards the swim training. Uh, but my biking and running had significantly improved. And overall, the course in Turkey was lovely. Right. You know, it was a beautiful experience. And again, I made a, you know, Turkey is also nice, uh, you know, a location to visit. Right. So the whole idea was to sort of pack two things in. Yeah. And uh, I think most of my races when it came to traveling internationally for triathlons were always, you know, the excitement was also around sort of visiting new places, yeah. which which has not been the case with, let's say, my running races or the bike races bike races were always the decision is based on who else is going or like you know how fun the race is what kind of format is but but whereas triathlon is a lot more individualistic event and since they happen in so many locations uh, you know all through the year you have a lot to pick and choose from right so for me that was what ironman 70.3 meant to me awesome you know I, I, the thing is i know how to ride i know how to <laughs> run I can survive the ocean. So let's go for it. Awesome. So did you manage uh, sub five uh, in Turkey? Oh, just, I guess I finished five hours and one minute. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, for me, it was as good as anything under five hours. I, that has always been my mindset. I've never had that, uh, you know, when I say sub five hours, I want to get close to five hours. So even with, you know, the whole sub three thing about marathons, I'm sure you must be knowing everything. This everybody, there's a lot of hype about finishing under three. I never had that. Although I happened to do that at some point of time, but it's, but for me, it was just like, you know, whether it's three hours, one minute, or it's two hours, 58 minutes, it's pretty much in the long run, scheme of things. It's pretty much the same. So I was very, very happy with the finish, although it was just over five hours, but I think I met my goals there. And the thing is I finished really strong. Yeah. So I knew like I hadn't completely gassed out and still with a weak swim finishing in five hours. So I was happy with the way I biked. I happy with the way I run and excellent uh, memories from that race. Yeah. They, that's a great point there. It doesn't uh, see, although you um, maybe having a five hour uh, target or sub five hour target, uh, have you know having finished five over one minute or five over ten minutes or five over thirty minutes doesn't uh, take away the joy you had during the process of training or taking yeah. uh, part in that event, right? So it it is yeah. still a uh, win in that sense. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, if, if you're a performance-oriented athlete. If it's if you're aiming for five and you end up finishing five hours thirty minutes, of course there is some homework to do and figure it out. There's something which is must have gone wrong. Yeah. yeah, but if you're finishing like a couple of minutes or five minutes, you know, uh, if you're finishing five minutes, there are a few tweaks that you need to do. If you're finishing one minute, it's just probably you know because the terrain can make a difference, the weather can make a difference. So you need to tell before you start pushing too hard, you know, like mm. saying, oh, I'm going off my target pace. Let me push hard. You need to also have the maturity to understand that probably the conditions are different, especially in a triathlon, because you are going through a mix of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The sea could have been turbulent, yeah. right? The It would have been windy on the bike, right? Uh, you're running terrain. For example, Turkey was through a golf course. So the terrain keeps changing. You go through, uh, you know, golf courses are not necessarily flat and yeah. the, the surface also keeps changing. You know, you go yeah. through grass, you go through. So, I mean, I have never run in a golf course before yeah. or after 
Yeah. So what I specifically remember is not how my how much my run got affected, but I remember having fun on the golf course yeah. and finishing fairly close to whatever I had in mind. Mm-hmm. So you have to factor all that in, right? It's like okay, if it's too much variation, then of course, you know, if you are you have to go back to the course, yeah, yeah. But if it's a little bit, you can't beat yourself too much about it because you have to remember that some of the fluctuation is going to come from the environmental factors. Yeah. So you have to, uh, if you look at it and in a performance uh, aspect, there are there would be th- uh, things to analyze, but then you have to right. look you know, look at it and uh, as a part of a journey process, there are uh, there would be definitely things to take away uh, in any. Event. Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah, always, always. That aspect remains, right? Yes. I mean the. I mean, I, I always keep saying that bad days are great days for, you know, learning, actually. Uh, so, so I definitely need to factor that in going forward. Awesome. So you, at this point of time, you were uh, doing all these, exploring all these sports uh, and you were still uh, working uh, uh, full-time working consultant, I think, uh, right? You, yes. you were still a working yes. athlete at that point of time. So what were the, yes. some of the challenges you faced as a working athlete doing all these things? Right. So I think, again, it depends, you know, on uh, every working athlete, of course, is in a working in a different environment. But I was working in a fairly challenging environment where you're consulting, right? So... Uh, hours are not really that predictable. Working mm-hmm. hours are not standard, as okay. some as you might be aware. So, you know, I was working on, so you have to travel abroad, right, for sometimes for supporting the team and you were working with teams across the globe. So, of course, that did have an effect because you need certain amount of discipline, right, in your life. And you're also, also I was fairly new, uh, you know, I was also on a learning curve when it comes to the job itself. Uh, I, what I would consider as a fairly challenging in a work environment that I was in. So you have a learning curve there. So you're mentally, I think, what is more mental than physical actually, because mm-hmm. you, your brain only has so much to, you know, scope to grasp, right? So you're in a new sport. Plus you're adding up multiple sports. At that point of time, I was exploring different things, right? Yeah. So your ability to learn right your ability to explore for you know uh, how to go about training and things like that is very limited right Uh, both in terms of uh, time constraint so i don't feel like you know carving out time for training was really the difficulty Mm -hmm. that i was able to do fairly well but i was not able to invest time into you know how to go about doing things and exploring things because you know what I've always honestly been a student of the sport like Mm -hmm. I probably find that more exciting than sometimes I go through these phases where I'm more excited about learning about the sport than just going out and training so Mm -hmm. that's part of my nature and that's probably why I never had a coach because I was like I want to explore further myself right and I think that factored into the decision of probably changing my career because you know I figured that it's not just being an athlete that excites me being a student of the sport excites me right. and somehow because the work that I was involved in and the organization I was working in was a very competitive organization and they were performing at a very high level. Mm-hmm. The expectation was also that. So obviously when, when that happens, you're mentally, uh, you know, challenged in terms of uh, finding bandwidth to explore something, which is also a whole knowledge area in itself. Right. And that too, mm-hmm. a knowledge area in cycling, running, swimming, 
triathlon in general. So that is what I, I felt like I'm being deprived of uh, trying to do something which I enjoy doing. I enjoy studying the sport, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a challenge apart from the fact that there were certain situations which were also physically demanding. Like, for example, I remember one of the Mumbai marathon races, we ran into some sort of an issue uh, at a very critical point in the project. And I was up until 4 a.m. at the hotel room, uh, even just like before going to the start line. So I had spent an entire night not sleeping. and But I had no choice because I was already there for the race. And this, it was not a planned situation. It just got extended. And, uh, and when you work in a team, it's not in your control all the time, right? So right. those sort of factors were there. But I don't think so that contributed to my, you know, cha real challenges as an athlete. It was more of, for me personally, it was more of the fact that I wanted to, I always had this deep desire to explore the sport from a uh, knowledge perspective. Yeah. So that was my challenge. But otherwise, I was able to fairly balance time because even when I was traveling, I would always take my bike along. Right. I would take the trouble of planning things out yeah. or either, you know, buy a bike. If I'm out there, you know, yeah. if I'm planning to buy a new bike, I would always figure out the running routes over there. So, and I always enjoyed the fact that, you know, my job was taking me places and I was able to explore places on foot, uh, running and cycling. So as such, I was enjoying the whole affair. You yeah. Know? But yeah. the only thing which was, I think it was taking away from me is that time to explore uh, mm. it as a student of the sport. Okay. Okay. But um, knowing what you know now uh, as a coach who, uh, who is working with so many uh, working athletes and uh, helping them with their performance and stuff, um, would you do something, uh, would you have done something differently uh, if you were, uh, you know, coaching back, uh, the Anubo back then? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, by now, I think everybody has realized that I could have done a lot of things differently. Right. I think essentially, uh, if uh, I was to coach, I would have taken better decisions. Right. It's a question of taking the right decisions. What to sign up for, what not to sign up for. You know, what are you geared up for? Uh, even if you go into the nitty gritties of training whether I should have done that certain run or, you know, whether I should have taken up so much volume, should I have signed up for a full, full marathon right away or I should have done a half marathon. And I think the role of a coach is just that, you know, uh, is to not just, it's not just about telling the athlete what to do, what run to do, what to set up a plan and, you know, analyze the completed workout. That's just a very minuscule part of the job a big part of the job is to take decisions based on what you're observing, take decisions, not only from data, but what, what you are hearing back from the athlete, right. To communicate with the athlete. So I think that's one of the challenges of being self-coached is that you don't have anybody to sort of, you know, uh, reflect on things. With. Bounce you know, you your ideas. Like a, yeah. To bounce your ideas. You don't have a sounding board. You, and so sometimes uh, your decisions are biased right you are obviously as an athlete want to perform well so you are always trying to push hard and there's no one to tell you that okay you probably need to take a step back because taking a step back in endurance sports is very important yeah. right knowing when to take a step back and how much so that becomes a challenge as a you know self coached athlete and sometimes because your work involves so much decision making 
there's only a limit to how much decision making your mind can do so you start experiencing decision fatigue you know what is known as decision fatigue it's just like you're tired of just taking decisions right right and i think that's one of the biggest challenges as as an recreational athlete is especially if you're a triathlete because now you have to take decisions for three different sports yeah. and it's not the juggling between you get into the groove you know once you set into triathlon training you get into the groove of managing three different sports it's about taking decisions in every three different sport right yeah. of course as a recreational athlete the fact that you have only very little volume in each sport so you know uh, progression sometimes can be limited right but irrespective of that how much less volume you're putting in your decision making is still very complex because your fatigue is coming from stress is coming from three different sports right so i think managing that becomes a little complex yeah i think the the mental aspect of it the decision fatigue uh, that you mentioned is really big um, uh, really a big factor for uh, working athletes so they are making decisions uh, at work they are uh, spending so many hours at work and they have to do that uh, same thing towards the sport that and you know it can be one sport two sports or three sports or whatever amount of sports that they are taking it but if they have to um, they have to if they have the time and the energy uh, and the resources to uh, do the research and spend the time then it is fine but even then there is that uh, uh, mental energy that they are expending right so that decision right. fatigue that you are you mentioned i think uh, is very critical yeah. and that's where yeah because i have worked yeah sorry yeah that's where uh, people like uh, you know you coaching uh, them would come in very handy yeah yeah so i mean i have worked with athletes continue to work with athletes who are very well read they delve into all of this they are very they are also just like me you know students of the sport they love reading about uh, everything uh you know about the sport and how to go train better and things like that and I encourage them to do that but i think the gap really is you know connecting that knowledge to practice right because yeah. just having the knowledge sometimes does not translate into good decision making right and in fact i have worked with athletes who have self coached themselves for years mm-hmm. right and have done that effectively and uh, yet at some point they come and and they are not really feeling like you know they're not progressing or anything mm-hmm. like that they are continuing to progress but i think they start feeling burdened mentally in terms of how much um, mental expenditure they are having to do yeah. to the point where it's not it's not fun anymore it's not recreational anymore and and it's just like you need a partner who's going through the journey along with you right yeah. sometimes uh, even if you have a running partner it's nice to run with somebody in the group right you have the physical company but you want somebody who can accompany you mentally through the journey yeah right and i think that is i think the most significant aspect of uh, probably uh, coaching somebody and that's what i have always felt even to this date is what is been the biggest vacuum in my entire journey right yeah. every the, i think the one question which i ask myself the most is is this a time to get a coach right because i am going through because that takes up the maximum amount of time in my own planning and decision making this back and forth of whether i'm doing too much or whether i'm you know i'm 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 doing okay or you know whether i'm being too ambitious right yeah and sometimes sometimes you also feel a burnout right because 
Uh, and I think that burnout comes less from the physical effort, but more from this, you know, this whole thing of uh, keeping to push yourself physically at the same time, take so much decisions. And the fact that I'm a coach right now yeah. makes it all the more complex because you're taking decisions around the same area yeah. for a lot of other people. So you're already fatigued, mm. right? But the only reason why I probably have not got much of a coach is because uh, when you get a coach, you probably also need to develop a level of trust and a relationship mm-hmm. and also abide to the plan uh, to some extent, right? At this point of time, since I have been exploring, you know, I'm still on a very, I'm still on a learning curve when it comes to the sport, you know, uh, as a subject and as a science, right? So even though I read things in the book, I you know, I am inherently somebody who doesn't trust things very easily. So right. even if the biggest, greatest expert tells me something, I have to go out there and try it out. Yeah. So I'm still in that phase where I'm a guinea pig myself, right? Yeah, yeah. So before uh, incorporating something into my coaching philosophy, I just want to try that out. And that kind of becomes difficult when you are working with a coach because the coach will probably not be able to accommodate all of that. You know? right. Like you're trying to progress in the sport and experiment and things like that. Yeah. So, so far, I feel like I've had fun doing that. So I'm just waiting for the point where I can say, you know what, I have learned enough. I've, I think I'm fairly satisfied with all this experimenting and I now want to focus as an athlete and just keep progressing with somebody who will help me and hold me through this journey. Right. Oh, this great point of view. I think uh, that that uh, that you know, looking at a coach's perspective, uh, look, looking at the athletes from the coach's perspective, also gives you uh, a, a different perspective of your own training. Right? You have you get the chance to put that coach's uh, hat on when um, and uh, look at your own training from uh, bird's eye view and say, yeah, am I doing it right? Uh, uh, you know, ask, would I do that if I were, uh, if this was some of someone I am coaching, right? So that's, that's a great, yeah. that's a great point. Uh, because, said. Yeah, yeah. I've also come across coaching relationships can be of varying kinds, right? Mm. Come across relationships where somebody is performing at a professional level and doesn't follow what the coach says at all. Mm-hmm. Right? To the extent that somebody asked him, if you don't follow, and he's saying it very openly that I mostly don't follow what my coach says. He says, if you don't follow what your coach says, why do you have him? Why are you working with him? He says, because when things go really bad, I go to <laughs> that's the time that's the time when I really feel like I got the support that I needed so although I am doing a lot of stuff I am paying you know we are discussing things but eventually I go my own way and you know my coach ratifies that okay it's fine and you know that's also a great idea you can go ahead with it so that process keeps happening but you know sometimes when things are really bad you know uh, either physically or you know because of the you know, let's say the stress from a race or something is not going right. He says that time you realize that your coach is such a lifesaver. So yeah, I've come across these interesting experiences. So, you know, the relationships can be of varying kinds really. Awesome. Awesome. So this, uh, talking of progression and, uh, uh, through the experiences and experimentation you had, right? So from a first marathon of five hours, 20 minutes to now uh, you, you have progressed a lot. Uh, 
your first uh, world marathon was in 2000 uh, first world major so to speak was in 2018 right the berlin marathon yeah how was that experience correct yeah i mean i was very excited about it and i think uh, that race was really a turning point for me because uh, of course uh, you are at the start line with some of the greatest runners in the world kip joge yeah. was there right oh. he won he broke the world record so when i crossed the finish line there was somebody standing there with a board saying the world record is broken wow so it's well, yeah it's a once in a lifetime experience being on the same course and finishing you know at the same finish line where the world record has been broken and that's the beauty of running like yeah. very few sport will allow you to do that right even cycling won't allow you to do that no yeah right you can't be on the same course with the elites but yeah that was fascinating to know that you know i can see the announcements being made and they're just a few hundred meters away from you so that was one part and also the fact that this was my first international marathon and a world major marathon it's a completely different stature both in terms of uh, the prestige it has the its history it has and also the amount of participation which is there right these are like huge i mean the thing which strikes you the most is the number of people out there right it's just like a sea of people i mean you don't see that uh, so much in india you know it's fairly limited number especially when it comes to the full marathon and also triathlons are also fairly limited so even though i had run international triathlons but the triathlons are still limited participation but uh, a city marathon uh, in europe or in america or probably i've not raced in other continents but i'm sure in another continents they're just massive right so you are of course looking at visuals from those races and you're really kicked up about it and i think to, that race was the first time i trained really seriously for a race because before that i was always you know i was doing cycling races and i was doing triathlons and all of that so my attention was of course divided but i think this is the time when i was like on like a full focused attention so not that i stopped cycling i can never do that i mean that's i have to live with that i just love cycling way too much to ever give it up but i at least stopped you know uh, probably try you know i my i could say that you know cycling was a little bit on a maintenance mode and for the first time i was not trying to like sort of you know uh, try to improve both my cycling performance level for bike races and uh, running races simultaneously and yeah the result was just amazing because i i i think i made a big jump i was stuck at uh, you know i was making very marginal improvements before that and i suddenly made a huge jump and i finished under 3 hours and so as i said but you know that was never the motivation for me to finish under 3 hours it was just coincidental that i finished under 3 hours mm-hmm. and also what happened i realized that evening uh, that somebody told me that over dinner that uh, are you going to run boston now that you finished under you know this time i said but yeah but boston is uh, you know the time cut off is gone they said no they have opened the spot again for the to fit in the berlin marathon uh, finishers and that was something i was not aware at all and and i so i was not looking at qualifying for boston or anything but they had just one day time window right and i remember clearly how uh, i after hearing that the next day i was on the in a metro train in berlin and in subway and i took the decision to participate in boston while during that subway ride got off the subway i had still not left the station opened the registration page on my mobile 
because the internet connection was still flowing in after I got out of the subway and signed up. So, I mean, I never thought I would qualify for Boston, you know, let alone qualifying I, that I would register for Boston uh, until that point. And that decision happening over a train ride, <laughs> <and laughs> finally registering remotely on a, is something which is like out of the world for me, right? So that was a big turning point in that sense. Like I did not know that I was going to do well in that race and I was fairly you know, surprised that I did that well. And, and then I did not know that I would qualify for Boston, which is in the running community, in the world of running, a significant uh, milestone, yeah. right? And that happened overnight. So that's what I remember. I mean, these are the special things about Berlin Marathon. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, sub, uh, first sub three hour um, uh, marathon, even though uh, you did not kind of think about it specifically, what was the uh, your best uh, marathon time before that? I think it was 3.15, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I finished uh, in, I, I finished fairly fresh in Berlin, right? The reason why I chose, I finished in that time is because I, I joined a pacing bus. So the pacing bus is always at whole numbers, right? Right. So there are either three hours and, you know, uh, three hours, uh, 15 minutes and things like that. And I clearly knew I can do better than three hours. So I stuck with that bus. So in fact, I left the bus after a certain point of time Mm -hmm. because I was feeling really fresh. And I remember I have never felt that way at 30th kilometer. So it was a 38th or 32nd kilometer. I decided to actually push the pace Mm -hmm. and I pushed way too hard. So a couple of kilometers later, I was, you know, started feeling those two kilometers. So I had to slow down again. but I still finished much better than what was the projected time at 30 kilometers. And if I had not pushed that hard, I think I would have done even better. But that's what I liked about that race is that I finished. Uh, I, I was thinking that I could finish, you know, maybe like three hours, five minutes or something like that. That's highly possible mm-hmm. that I will start fading towards the end, which is what would generally happen to me during races. But this is the first time I ran consistently. And in fact, I ran faster in the, you know, the later part of the later race. Part of- so that was a significant aspect. Yeah. So, and that happening on my first world majors was just like the icing on the cake. Awesome. So what do you think uh, went uh, right in terms of training and uh, uh, preparation that you felt so fresh? I think it was, I think the stakes were high for me because, you know, it was like a big race. So I think I was a lot more serious about this race and a lot more focused about this race. And so other times, you know, I have never been, Although I, I love the sport and uh, I think I take the sport fairly seriously, but not, not to the extent which I took it, uh, you know, uh, uh, during Berlin, because I was always in that mode of exploring and having fun, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I was still having fun, but this time I was like, you know, I'm going to like set up my, set myself up like a serious goal, you know, and my goal was to like, I need to finish strong mm-hmm. as I finish the race, you know, no more dragging your feet. Uh, towards the finish line and which was the primary objective so and then I think that was a turning point because that's when I realized I got the first taste of like you know what it can uh, you know a a very well structured training program and done consistently the things that you can do to your running is just amazing and that's why the progress I saw after Berlin was unlike anything which I had in the past of course I mean of course it's all the more challenging you know after you finish under three hours any progress that you make is significantly more difficult so considering that i was really happy with you know the the chain of uh, progression that it started off yeah so the it it is 
a key uh, race for you in so many uh, ways so sub 3 and that uh, I, even though you did your personal best you uh, also felt very pressure at the end uh, and you realized that okay this is what um, real good uh, structured plan that uh, and sticking to it can do and i think yes. that so 2019 was another string of uh, uh, personal bests and uh, podiums um, you did what uh, uh, jan 2019 you did uh, mumbai at 2 yeah. hour 52 minutes another uh, what yeah. nearly 8 minutes 7 minutes something yeah. cutting off from yes yes the, and uh, was this your first marathon podium as well correct yes that was that's true although i didn't know that you know something like that had happened uh, even after i had crossed the finish line yeah mm-hmm. so i mean i had never in my dreams thought that i will finish in the podium of marathon i mean i would i had specifically targeted marathons in let's uh, sorry uh, podiums in bike races 10k's you know and things like that but full marathon i was like this is probably not going to ever happen right i mean i never even thought about it right okay. but uh, i remember when i finished mumbai marathon i was walking back some some of the people who were walking with me were like you know you finished on the podium i'm like you must be kidding me but uh, it so turned out that i finished on the age group podium right and uh, it's just amazing like i've had amazing race right i i i clocked the exact time that i wanted to so i was more than happy i mean that itself is like a big win for me but to know after finish the race that you've also been on the podium of a race which which is probably uh, i hold in high regard right yeah. uh, i just love that race it's a race that i've done every single year of my since i started running wow. right and i when i started running that race i was at the back of the pack yeah and to know that you know finish on the podium of that very race is just an amazing feeling to what a progression uh, that that is some journey i must say so uh, what did you finish in uh, in the age group I, oh yeah that i don't i think second i think okay. second in the age group right yeah. so clearly you don't uh, although you were happy you don't really uh, give that much importance to <laughs> that aspect but uh, yeah it's so it's, it's also difficult to figure in a marathon because especially mumbai marathon because it ends with a half marathon merging through so you really don't know who's where and what and you have no inkling but of course when i went to the start line 2020 and i kind of knew that there were only three people ahead of me all through the race because mm-hmm. it got fairly low it has it has become a lonelier experience with every passing year so <laughs> you become more and more aware of how many people are ahead of you right <laughs> okay and have the knowledge that okay i had the podium last year so you kind of are more aware of who's there in front of you but before that when you're not expecting you really are not counting because you're like it doesn't matter yeah. but i think even overall i finished in the top 10 so there were just a handful of runners ahead of me yeah. so uh, yeah you become more conscious after that i guess it's lonelier at the top so <laughs> you said nice so uh it, to, 2019 was um, mumbai wa- was not the end of the story uh, you did uh, boston in april and yes and another pb there how was how was it how was yes. the experience there yeah i mean uh oh that is completely 
you know that's out of the world kind of experience but i mean i think i was able to perform well in mumbai also primarily because i knew i had boston in april the moment i had signed up for april after berlin i was like on fire <laughs> right? Right. because this is what you consider as the world cup of amateur runners you know boston right. and you can't take it lightly so and i had no idea what the experience is going to be like you're just going by the fact that it's a really old race it was a 123rd race or uh, you know edition it's the oldest marathon number one it's uh, something you have to qualify for you on your spot so it's prestigious right and but i had no idea what the experience of running is like I heard about it uh, but until i went for the race i had no idea but the fact that i was able to cut down 7 minutes uh, you know mumbai was kind of like a tuna praise to it right mm-hmm. and then i continued to see that progression right and as per my calculation i should have cut down another 7 minutes in those 3 months in between right and i'll tell you when i was so i was you know because i've been doing this for a while and i was able to hit all the targets you know precisely in every race so i was very confident even uh that i should be able to do it although you know it does strike you that hey, how are you going to cut down 7 minutes in you know is it really possible or you you do get that self doubt sometimes that you know but then you look back at your training and you realize that yeah but your training is telling you that you are at that level mm-hmm. right so that's what i think another big factor of training uh, consistently is that the training data itself will tell you that you are not just seeing dreams that you know you have solid data to sort of back you up but when even when i got onto the bus you know the thing with boston is you have to travel from the finish line in the morning keep your stuff and then travel all the way 42 kilometers to the start line so we all travel in buses right wow. so 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 all the runners get together in buses so all the people i'm surrounded with in the bus are all accomplished runners you know they're all sub 3 runners and some of them have done boston multiple times so we are all discussing you know where we are from and our own running journeys and what we are trying to you know what we are aiming for so almost everyone who was in my vicinity you know asked me what i was aiming for and i said 245 and they were like wow that's like a you know that's like a you know, challenging target so what is your previous best i said 252 said wow that's a big jump and when was this i said 3 months back <laughs> and everyone had this look of disbelief right and i think when i saw that again you get that doubt like yeah. you know you know it's am i doing something crazy so yeah. by the time i reached the finish line my confidence is a little lower than what i you know went in but then once you start running right then you realize the magic of boston you mm-hmm. have no time to think and doubt yourself it's such an atmosphere it's actually a dangerous atmosphere if you're not well prepared right because the crowd will goad you will push you right there's not a moment where there is not like screeching shouting noise through your ears it's almost entirely like a it's a 42 km long stadium right and it's almost like as if you are you know some sort of a star out there you know <laughs> like oh, wow. but that's the treatment everyone gets right and that's what strikes me so much it's i mean i've done berlin and i've done a lot of other races but what you have in boston is just out of the world it's a very challenging course it's not an easy course mm-hmm. so definitely you don't go there because you are assured of a pb right so i had to train very like i generally never trained specifically for a course you know but for boston i had to alter my training a little bit for the course because there's there's a lot of elevation gain at certain point and it's a net downhill so you have to train for that specifically mm-hmm. so i did all of that and i was fairly confident but i never knew about the other aspects of the race which is the crowd right yeah. in fact i'll tell you there was one guy who was running alongside me all the time and then 
some of his friends were there he, they started shouting like why are you going this slow you got to move faster and he started moving really fast and that's the dangerous because i met him just you know 500 600 meters away he had cramped out oh. because when you're racing at you because all moving very fast right and you're racing at your limits you have to be so i think in boston you need to know how to hold back because right. it's just crazy atmosphere yeah so that's that's my memory from boston and i'm actually very very it's very close to my heart and that's why i signed up for it again for 2020 so i was looking forward to doing the 2020 race so and i'm still looking forward to doing the 2021 whenever it happens yeah and it's always be a special race for me Oh man, that uh, that you know, forty-two kilometer uh, stadium. That that is a great comparison. Yeah, awesome. So you and still you, yeah, yeah still that two thousand nineteen uh, did not end there. Uh, you went to New York and uh, cut down further four minutes from your time. How was that? Ex- yeah, right. And so New York is actually more. complex or rather <clears throat> it is a tougher course than boston okay, okay. because there are multiple bridges that you go through uh, and uh, also new york I had to take a loop break so i lost some time there and you know i think uh, pacing was also not as great as uh, i had in boston so i still feel like boston was the last even though i have improved my time over the i did two other races after boston and i did i i scored a pb in both of them but the experience was really special in boston but new york again is again it's something which is uh, i always look forward to because i've run you know with the year i did boston i went for a run in the uh, central park right mm-hmm. and it's an amazing place to run so you know the race finishes around the central park area so i was really looking forward to it and the fact that i mean the spectacle you know is just amazing for the race because also uh New York has the biggest uh, number of participants as well as spectators. So, fifty thousand runners and a million spectators. Wow! Right? It's just that, yeah, New York is you know uh, the biggest in terms of uh, you know the participation, the participative, uh, let's say, uh, uh, strength. Uh, the thing is, Boston is a fairly uh, narrower route, right? Mm-hmm. So the effect is just. huge right yeah, amplified and it's like it's yeah and it's a the more than amplified it's like constantly there it's like okay. uniformly there whereas in new york you will have bits when you go over flyovers and stuff like that where there are more people yeah. so there are sections which have got huge crowds and then the sections which are fairly you know silent so it's a little different from boston in that respect uh but otherwise it has the biggest crowd support so it's a huge event so in fact it's so huge that everybody doesn't start from the same place you know they all the actually the routes are slightly parallel to each other and they merge after a certain point oh, so wow. you will suddenly start seeing new runners in <laughs> different directions wow. yeah so that's how huge the race is so that's the uh, hallmark of uh, new york and yeah i was like really happy that you know uh, i got to start there and i think this time i was able to start fairly far in the front right yeah so uh, i think i was in the first coral so mm-hmm. that was the first time that i because when i was in boston uh, although i was happy to qualify but i suddenly what hit me was there so many runners ahead of me in that coral <laughs> because there's so many there were i think there was one more coral ahead of me and mm-hmm. i looked at every runner who passed by me joining that coral with envy 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, I wish I was in that Koran. I always want to start there. With New York, that was the, you know, the next, that was the progression that I made. That at the start line, I was right in the beginning, right in the front. So that was special. And of course, I mean, 241, I think, considering what had happened during the race, uh, I think I finished off rather well. I think the last bit went significantly well. I finished strong and I finished fast. Uh, although I shot, would have wanted to finish slightly faster. But mm-hmm. but that's okay. As I said, you know, I was never very so. And I always consider the you know, the environmental factors that can play in, or sometimes even yeah. things that happen, you know, you have to take a loop break, you have got to take a loop break, you can't mm-hmm. help it. So you can't beat yourself too much about it. But yeah, otherwise, uh, it was good fun. Nice, nice. So in t- 2020, before uh, the COVID played spoil sport for everyone in terms of events and stuff, yeah, you did yeah. go, you did go and uh, have a party at uh, Mumbai at least uh, in terms of bettering uh, your own time at New York and doing another PB. Uh, although maybe missed yeah. the podium by a whisker or something. Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so I think with Mumbai started off really badly because two days before the race, uh, during a training run, a vehicle veered into me and I tried to jump across the curb and I sprained my ankle. Wow. So honestly, the race, the race starts, I think, at 5 a.m., I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah. But even two hours before the race, you know, when I'm supposed to actually start getting ready, I'm actually sitting on the couch and wondering what to do. I wasn't certain that I'm going to show up at the start line. But I had shown it to a physio the day before and she tested it out. And she said, after testing it out, she said, there are two things. Either you have a very high pain threshold because of which you are not reacting or I think you're good to go. You know, I think you can survive the race. Okay. Because if you, I told her, you know, kind of foot mechanics I have, I'm a little four footed. So she said, yeah, but that will take a little bit of pressure off your ankle. So, uh, but you know, I, Mumbai is always preparation for Boston, right? Uh, slightly. So it's an important race for me and I hold it in high regard. So uh, it was a really tough decision for me. But, uh, you know, the good thing which happened is uh, as I started the race, I found a partner. Uh, again, uh, there's a runner called Nanju Dakpa here in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. So I met him a lot. as we started running, he saw me and then we both decided to run together. So I think that really helped me out, take my mind off the ankle because it was just a nice partnership that we set off. Right. And I think we went on until the 36 kilometer we were together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think at the hill, I decided to take it a little easy because my, you know, the hill, the ankle also starts playing a little bit. Yeah. So he uh, pushed off, whereas I held back a little bit. But my plan was to sort of push towards the final kilometers, which is what I had been doing in my past few races. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Mumbai Marathon was not that well organized that year in the sense like the crowds for the half marathon were huge and there was no space left for the full marathoners to pass through. So, I mean, if you're in mid of the pack, it's fine. But people in the front of the pack hit a really big uh, crowd. And so what happened is uh, after the 36 kilometers, couldn't push the pace. So we were just confined to you know whatever space that we could find. In fact, at, at some point I, I stopped running and I started wow. walking because mm-hmm. I started wondering what to do. Wow. Because I tried going from the left, going from the right, you know, but on the left you have the people who are providing support, you know, because Mumbai in the final few kilometers not only has volunteers, but it also has people like supporters, like you know, crowd which kind of gives support. And there are like you know, cups going all over. And so I almost crashed into one of the volunteers. And I'm, at that point, I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to finish it. So it was that bad. 
but eventually i just mustered up you know the all the I decided to push out that frustration and keep moving and somehow just get through it but what happened as a result is i couldn't push the pace so mm. i finished 30 seconds behind uh, you know nanjudapa who finished third uh. so i ended up finishing fourth yeah overall so but it was still a progression because i finished 10th overall i think mm. yeah. the year before i had moved to the fourth position and i finished just 30 seconds behind which is as good but the only problem was that uh, the year before in my age group even though i was 10th overall i was second in the age group mm-hmm. this year all the three people who finished in front of me were in the same age group same age so group I oh. <laughs> so i finished fourth overall but you know I, i for me it was like you know that doesn't matter because i'm going to come back the next year yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely i'm going to yeah i'm going to yeah course but, to yeah, settle there see. scores to settle there yeah <laughs> <laughs> man this is such a great progression you uh, had uh, you did 2 hours 38 minutes in uh, mumbai this year and uh, yeah that's another 3 minutes of the new york and it's another pb and from yeah. a guy from starting from 5 hours 20 minutes to uh, even if we consider uh, just the uh, world marathons uh, world majors uh, starting at 2 hours 59 in 2018 at berlin to now 2 uh, hours 38 minutes is still a big progression uh, kudos to you and uh, i think i i hope you keep uh, that progression continuing and uh, maybe you know get yourself more and more pbs awesome so coming to uh, your one thing that struck me uh, when you were talking about new york was that you said uh, you had gi i mean you had to use a loo uh, during the run uh, one thing yeah. that that uh, i often hear uh, with uh, marathon runners is the gi uh, issues right the gastro right. issues Uh, how do you how do you take care of nutrition uh, for a uh, you know distance like that d- during training and racing yeah, yeah i think uh, i have a fairly simple you know uh, nutrition uh, let's say program for myself mm-hmm. uh, i think it has of course changed over the years as i've realized the merits of certain things and you know how certain things are not really required so when it comes to training uh, i'm of course training most of the time in india so the biggest thing is out here there's a lot of fluid loss because it's fairly more humid here and hotter here mm-hmm. so that's one of the big factors so definitely hydration is the most important thing and electrolytes especially if you're going for a long run you lose a lot of fluid so electrolyte uh, and uh, water hydration are the critical aspects in training in india right second thing is uh, if of course you're going through a challenging week and you have a long run at the end of a challenging week again you will need additional energy sources so i use energy gels for those days primarily because uh, it's easier to sort of carry it and it gives you and the thing is in the race you're going to use the gel so it makes sense to sort of use gels so that is generally the nutrition for let's say uh, running uh, long distance running uh, Uh, and what i mean by long distance is the long days which you have generally for an amateur runners is generally on a weekend right uh, weekday runs if it's a easy run i'm generally fasted 
I run faster and, and but always carrying water and I'm drinking water is almost every three kilometers, uh, irrespective of whether I feel thirsty or not. That I think is very critical both uh, so that you have a comfortable run and at the same time so that you recover well because you anyways putting yourself to stress on the other days so your recovery is still going on and fluid is very important to sort of circulate everything in your body so you never want to be in a dehydrated state at any point so mm. whether you challenge yourself or not you need to keep hydrating especially considering where we are right so yeah that's the key aspect in when it comes to running if it's a fairly challenging interval workout or a, you know high intensity workout which is also long volume uh, then in those cases also I would you know consume a banana before I leave and uh, very rarely I think there will be very few challenging weeks where I would need high, you know nutritional support during the intense runs as well so that's when mm-hmm. I will carry a gel okay. uh, depends on the kind of workout sometimes I've experimented around with really long cruise intervals mm-hmm. where you're like reaching threshold paces every now and then but at the same time it's a long workout like yeah. it's about a one and a half hour long workout then uh, I would just to be safe I'll carry some because you want good quality in the workout as well you can't yeah. afford to sort of fade out in the intervals mm-hmm. uh, or it's, it's pointless the objective yeah. of the workout is not met yeah. so that's as far as uh, uh, running is concerned I of course drink a cup of coffee every morning uh, mm-hmm. irrespective of whether I'm training or not <laughs> I'm <laughs> always having coffee in the morning uh, so I think that's there uh, so race nutrition uh, depends on the country you know that you're running uh, again hydration will change a little bit based on the country that you're running in right if it's a colder climate if not you know environment which is not as humid you know you're probably not going to need as much uh, fluid consumption as you know humid countries so that varies you know how yeah. much water i drink uh, also pre-run breakfast a couple of hours before the run before the race Uh, generally i stick to oats oats work very well for me so oats and bananas you know cut Mm -hmm. into uh, the oats prepare it overnight and then have it in the morning and yeah it it has worked well for me so i have not experimented much around that Uh, when it comes to biking biking is fairly forgiving in terms of uh, you know how much you can consume before a you know, an intense workout as well and or even an easy long ride. So generally I would eat sufficiently well before the ride and depend less on, you know, food that I'm carrying when it comes to cycling. And, and uh, so again, similar kind of food, you know, a banana and coffee before leaving or some oats. If it's a very, very long ride, like four hours plus, I will have a bowl of oats. And also I carry oats with me while riding. So I make oat cakes savory oat cakes not the sweet kind okay. uh, i kind of enjoy eating those and i discovered that by accident actually i once made uh, some oats at home savory oats you know masala oats mm-hmm. and uh, and i think i didn't finish the whole bowl and kept it aside in the fridge and then i realized uh, that it actually forms like a very firm lump cake. so you can actually make yeah cakes out of it and since then those are being made and you know i make it overnight keep it and then i cut it into pieces and foil it up and keep it in the back pocket that works really well for like the long distance rides nice. so that and water and electrolyte right if i make a few stops then i'll have a few drinks like maybe coconut water sometimes to just if i get bored of drinking the electrolyte i'll have a coke uh, you know uh, if i'm making a stop that is so it depends on the ride as such if i'm making stops then i'm sometimes consuming a little more but uh, self-sufficiency considering that uh, it's water electrolyte and oat cakes 
nice uh, what what is your uh, like uh, race nutrition in terms of marathon looks like you uh, uh race nutrition is gels entirely gels along the way mm-hmm. nothing no deviation from that uh, i sort of uh, depends on how i'm carrying the gels if I, earlier i used to carry packets so mm-hmm. i had to consume the entire packet in one go Mm. so uh, that time the timing was different but now i fill them up in small bottles with liquid Lask. yeah 200 ml bottles mm-hmm. yeah so i drink very more frequently i drink every 15 minutes now okay so i take sips accordingly so the idea is to finish about 500 ml of uh, the gel and water mix over the 42 kilometers okay awesome. so i feel like the closer you can time your consumption Mm-hmm. the more consistent your energy availability is right okay. rather than one go yeah so mm-hmm. i've been experimenting around that so you know because everything changes based on your higher nutrition strategy because if i want to carry bottles with me of course the gearing would change so i have had to change to different kind of shorts which allow me to carry two bottles with me mm-hmm. but that has worked very well in all the past races that i've done mm-hmm. major races or i use that same strategy so it seems to be working although it's not it's not a traditional you know suggested way of doing it but something yeah. i have sort of uh, improvised on that that works and now i'm so fairly confident yeah yeah i'm fairly confident to advise the same to athletes other athletes as well yeah makes sense makes sense so do you um, do any um, uh, training uh, off the bike and run or like weight training and stuff not enough not enough uh, although i should be doing and that's i think that's the realization uh, that has come about in the past few months is that and that's what i'm it's going to be going forward that's going to be a major part of my training and although all the athletes that i coach i have always been very insistent on doing the conditioning work uh, outside training because uh, i think uh, what has happened in the past is as far as i am concerned i have been able to progress without focusing so much on strength and conditioning and i've seen other athletes not focusing so much and still perform well so you tend to think that you know uh, you don't need to do it because you're getting away with it why change something which is not broken right yeah but uh, you know as i said it's all i've uh, you know part of the uh, learning curve right and as i read more and i learn more i figured that i'm probably missing out on the some gains which i could have gone by focusing on strength training right i could have made the progression faster i could have probably made my training much more comfortable much mm. more stronger recovered mm. better right i'm probably suffering a lot more challenging feeling way too challenged or not recovering well enough during training right mm. as much as i would like to so as i get more you know as i look forward to more performance gains in the future i have to like literally look at you know i have to wrench things out because it's going to get all that much more challenging to make progress you know yeah. going forward so i have to look at all different pockets right so the earlier so the thing is i am in a mindset of which is very easy to sort of situation in where you can easily become very complacent right because like yeah i have been able to progress with whatever i have been doing so i don't need to change it but i think that's where a coach is you know really helpful because he will remind you that you know you need to follow the process right although i insist on the athletes following the process and it's very much part of their plan i sort of i think have been ignoring it simply because there is nobody to sort of you know uh, to to sort of factor in that accountability right that you're not following the process yourself yeah. you're not practicing what you preach 
Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I think that's, but I, but that has changed because I am taking it fairly more seriously and I've started uh, working on conditioning and started working on skills. So because my form is fairly good, I have sort of, uh, I feel like, oh, you know, I don't need to look at that. But I think as I am going to start looking at, you know, digging out more areas of improvement, this will be one major bucket where I think I, if I improve my form a little further, even mm-hmm. though it's a decent form. But the thing is, slight change in form has such a magnified effect. Okay. And that is why in running, especially skill is so important, right? Your movement skill, mm-hmm. you make a little improvement in your movement. Yeah. It's, you know, each step at a time, right? It's those many steps, you know, just imagine how much, how many steps you're taking in 42K. Yeah. So I've, you know, as I've read many books of experts in running, unfortunately, most people will not lay so much stress on strength and conditioning. It's mm-hmm. all about intensity and programming and periodization yeah. Right. It's now that I've done with all those bigger experts and I'm now reading books by lesser known people. Mm. I have been exposed to thoughts and concepts which are now sort of, you know, striking me that, you know, even if you don't have an issue, even because I have been injury free all through the journey of running. Right. I've only had very few niggles because of which probably, you know, you know, I've not given it that much importance because, you know, I'm not in, because generally people tend to focus on strength and conditioning when they tend to have a lot of physical aches yeah. and pains, you know, yeah. that's yeah. what triggers them. But I've always insisted all the athletes that I work with that, that you need to stay conditioned because most other athletes are starting off this activity, you know, fairly late in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have spent years where they are deconditioned, right? Then yeah. they're mostly sitting right? So their whole body and they're forced to sit through the day, right? So that sort of also has an effect. So I think by doing the strength and conditioning, you can make sure that, you know, you sort of negate those effects, right? And that is one aspect that helps you stay injury free. But the other aspect is developing movement skills, right? Uh, because running is a impact sport, right? Uh, and you, it's also a sport where you need explosive strength, and reactive strength, like elastic energy that is involved, mm-hmm. which is like running is a lot more power sport. You know, it's about applying power, you know, as fast as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Or doing work as fast as possible. Whereas in running, it's a lot more skill oriented because there's so many degrees of freedom, right? You could be oscillating too much. There is forces from the vertical, horizontal, yeah. there's rotational force. Right. So there's just way too much degrees of freedom to sustain control. Right. Mm. And to move in an efficient manner. Mm. Right. There's a lot of work which can be done, which tends to be ignored by most runners. Right. And I definitely going forward, I'm looking at, you know, working on stability, working on conditioning, working on uh, running form. Yeah. Although one of the recent Hyderabad runners, uh, you know, talk show, they had invited a, a running form expert and I think they, he needed a few samples and my sample was provided and his comment was that I wouldn't touch, touch his form. I might okay. do more damage than good. Right? Okay. So when that happened again, you're thinking, Oh, so I don't need to do that. But then again, I read a book. I read a book and I realize, Oh, you know what? I've never focused on this aspect of it because you know, the sport becomes more mental as you progress, right? right? It becomes less physical and more mental in the sense that in the end, your brain is telling your body how to move, right? Mm -hmm. So it is possible to program that to move better, to move more efficiently so that you expend lesser 
energy to get the same amount of performance so awesome. that would be the you know that is that is my outlook towards or how i treat uh, you know things Strength off the run or off the bike awesome awesome yeah that that is very important i think uh, because even for me uh, whenever i uh, try running all my imbalances and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. lack of stability everything comes to the fore whereas compared to uh, uh, cycling is fairly forgiving sport i think and when it comes to running yeah. everything comes out uh, and now i have realized that yeah. i could benefit both from uh, uh, you know getting stronger on the bike and maybe eventually maybe getting uh, uh, good at running as well so i started that work yeah great to hear uh, that ratification from you as well <laughs> awesome so now to wrap things up uh, it's been a great uh, session talking about your not only your progression but various uh, you know aspects of training uh, uh, the way to look at uh, uh various aspects of training and nutrition and conditioning and uh, you know all these things what are the some of the tips that you would give to working athletes to keep progressing with the time constraints they have right i mean i think it's uh, i would reiterate what i just said in my last answer is that you have to remember that uh, although these are fairly simple activities right you can mm-hmm. just get out of the house and do it as against let's say like playing tennis or doing boxing right where you feel that you need to develop skill you know mm. you need to know you spend so much time developing a skill before you can actually start playing matches in tennis or you know in any other sport right even cricket for that matter yeah right uh, and you need coordination and things like that and somehow uh, most athletes in world of endurance uh don't go through that process or don't understand the significance of skill yeah. so and the thing is when you lay a good foundation in terms of skills and in found of how well you move right uh it makes a marked difference it has a magnifying effect as i said yeah. uh, because every single step in your training itself becomes much more better so you are able to train at a higher level than what you are capable of without having worked on the skill okay. so you will be struggling a lot more making mm-hmm. yourself a lot more susceptible to injuries especially when it comes to running running you almost it's almost like people just assume that you will be injured you know and it's yeah. unavoidable yeah. but i think you reduce the susceptibility of that by just focusing on skills right uh, and you know that's probably why uh, so many professional level runners they go through that entire process it's just that they start young and they develop those skills when at in their the young age so although when you read about these things you don't see so much emphasis being given on skills that's probably because at that level you've already well developed and it's you're just focusing on volume yeah we should not try and mimic that you know and just try because everybody almost every athlete i meet is talking about weekly mileage you know and the you know what is your race distance and they're trying to increase their race distance but if you work on the skill aspect of it right Uh, the actually the longer the race you are the more important the skill aspect becomes because you every little bit of efficiency that you gain through skills reflects on that so you need to uh, 
you know, as I said earlier, movement is guided by the brain, right? You need to build that relationship between mind and body and not just think of running as, you know, like how much oxygen you can consume and how fast your heart can beat and keep beating for a certain amount of time yeah. because those are not the primary things, right? They are just, I mean, it's fairly easy to develop endurance uh, compared to the musculoskeletal, you know, ro robustness. So that's why people get injured because their aerobic system actually becomes fairly well developed and it overpowers the ability of the musculoskeletal system. So that in the end makes you, you know, uh, I think you're running more challenging, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you feel like you can go and run a lot more, run a lot faster, but your body starts, doesn't support it, right? Mm -hmm. Although you feel like that the progression should happen. So you need to identify that, okay, this is probably a good time for me to focus on the very basics. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the thumb rule is, you know, always keep working on your skills, no matter how good an athlete you are, how competent, how experienced you are, there is always scope for improvement in skills. So it's not like you only do something in the beginning. It is all the more important in the beginning, but it's important side of stays through your entire uh, journey as an athlete. So I feel, and I'm saying this because this has been a realization. I mean, I mean, this relation is always there. It has become stronger in the past few months. And that is why, I mean, I'm planning to actually do a camp where I, I actually want to, you know, uh, bring that learning onto, I've never done a camp before, but I feel so strongly about strength and conditioning right now and running skills right now that I want to be able to impart that. I just want to people to realize why they need to do it because once you get the why through them you know like because sometimes when you just hear strength and conditioning you have a lot of myths in your mind like you know why do i need strength hmm. right it's like i am not going to be lifting stuff yeah. right but you need to if you can paint the picture for them like hmm. what is required as a runner what are the physical qualities you need what are the skills you need and how this activity is doing it it's not just prescribing something like do this and you'll be good yeah. so if you can explain why right because people read that Otherwise, in books and stuff, you know, why I want to do this run, tempo run and speed run. But very rarely have I come across a book which uh, explains this relationship very well, the yeah. importance of this. And in fact, very few books actually laid down in a fashion which is easy for the runner to understand and implement. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's going to be the focus area, you know, going forward, both as an athlete and as a, as a coach. Awesome. Awesome. What, uh, you mentioned uh, books that um, are uh, easily laid out and stuff. Uh, maybe re make yeah. a recommendation uh, for the listeners. So, yeah, so there are, uh, I mean, again, running books can have a huge variety, right? There are some about, you know, the mental aspect of it. There's some things about basic training principles. So I think most of the train principle books are very well known. You know, people have read, uh, let's say, Jack Daniels, you know, Fitzinger uh, and uh, Arthur Lydiard. And these are the, you know, the forefathers of uh, running. <clears throat> when it comes to strength and conditioning, there is, you know, uh, in endurance sports in general, like triathlon, there is Mark Jarvis that I have liked, uh, Jay Deshari uh, that I've liked. Uh, uh, Richard Blackgrove uh, that I've liked and I particularly liked uh, his book. So and these are some things which are there on the top of my mind. But over the years, of course, I've gone through many books and yeah. wherever, you know, I've seen some interesting aspect. I've sort of, I, I've maintained my own manual, which I've been building. So yeah. things which I have 
put to use and I've really liked and how it has worked for me and athletes. I sort of have made it part of my own Bible, you know, awesome. so I really feel like there's no one single Bible available. Yeah. So I'm just picking bits and pieces from, you know, whatever I'm finding interesting and whatever I feel is working well. Okay. I think I, I'm also looking forward to that camp whenever you are uh, bringing that out. Thanks a lot. Sure. Uh, yeah. Amazing to have you. yeah. Yeah. Th- thanks a lot. Anvo. This was uh, a fantastic session uh, thank you for uh, taking the audience through the journey thank you for sharing uh, your insights into training and uh, racing and everything uh, about your journey thanks a lot thanks a lot thank you you've been an inspiration yourself uh, as you know we've tried to drop you and failed many times and that has uh, <laughs> that has motivated us uh, for many many years and what you're doing right now again is another source of uh, great motivation and you're bringing out so much insight uh, really looking forward to your future episodes and thank you for having me thank you <laughs>